Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Autumn Smith, the founder of Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures. And a little bit about her, um, Autumn suffered from debilitating digestive issues and crippling anxiety for most of her life. Specialist after specialist told her nothing could be done and she was ready to give up. But as one final attempt at a life free of health issues, Autumn decided to harness the power of whole foods. She cleaned up her diet and in just 30 days, her IBS was cured. But that was just the beginning. She had less anxiety, was mentally sharper, and a bubbly side of her that she forgot existed came back. Since then, Autumn has dedicated her life to helping others harness the power of whole foods to live vibrant lives. And in 2013, she and her husband, Chaz, launched Paleo Valley, a company dedicated to helping people get the essential nutrients they need without added sugars, grains, and other harmful ingredients. But they didn't stop there. After learning about the healing powers of grass-fed, pasture-raised meat, both for our bodies and the planet, Autumn and Chaz uh, started the Near Next Adventure. In 2018, they launched Wild Pastures, a regenerative meat delivery service that sends 100% grass-fed pasture-raised meat directly to your doorstep. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today with Autumn Smith. So welcome, Autumn. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Excited to be here. I've heard wonderful things, and it's just, it's nice to make the connection. Yeah, well, thank you, Autumn. So. You know, what? where I'd like us to start, you know, many people, of course, have a personal journey and that's, you know, how they get into their passion, right? And how they get into their really aligned purpose. You can tell really when people are walking, you know, what they were, you know, here to do on earth, you know, you, there's a difference in kind of how they bring that energy to their business and to their life. And so obviously with Paleo Valley, it feels very much that you have that energy behind it. And so tell us, you know, really what, you know, what was your healing crisis and your journey that led you to create this amazing company? Well, it is so funny that you said that. It just reminded me because before I founded Paleo Valley, I was working as a celebrity fitness trainer. I was traveling the world, you know, doing what everyone would think was like the best case scenario, right? And um, I felt so compelled after my transformation that I quit a job that most people would never quit and, and put everything into this business. And I love it a thousand times more. And people are like, you went from training JLo to beef sticks. That's kind of crazy, but it's like, yes, that's just, it's, that's why this, this transformation was so powerful for me. So it all started when I was about 10 years old and I just started to have some digestive issues, bloating, unpredictable cramping. I remember going to the emergency room thinking, I don't know what, you know, and they didn't really know what to do with me. So they put me into the irritable bowel syndrome wastebasket. No one really knew what to do with me. Like I said, so uh, as I got into my teens and uh, and it was never addressed, it became mental health struggles. Because we know now that there's that brain gut connection. At that time, that wasn't on anyone's radar. And so we thought they were two distinct diagnoses. And so we tried psychiatric meds and talk therapy. And, you know, I, over time, the psychiatric meds made me feel awful. I know they were for some people, for me, they were not helpful. And I learned, okay, I am broken. I'm going to feel physical pain. I'm an emotional pain. And so I turned to substances and anything I could get my hands on to can't, to kind of calm myself and, and numb the pain. And, and I did this until I got kicked out of my parents' house before I even graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my life just became unmanageable. Luckily, I am an avid learner and a dancer, and I really felt the need to continue that and go to college and then move to Los Angeles and just kind of like suffer in silence, but still make things happen. And But it wasn't really until I met my son that or my husband 
Mm-hmm. That he kind of like looked underneath the smile <laughs> and the facade and said, you're struggling and you are not well. And like, we need to figure out why. And uh, we got on the internet because no LA doctors were really able to help us either. And he found that some people with digestive issues had diet, that diet was helping them. And we thought, well, that sounds like crazy, but we'll try it because we were desperate. And we did in 30 days, my, uh, my dietary systems, my digestive symptoms were gone. And my mental health over the course of the next year convinced me that I had found the key to being not only fit, which I was always fit, but I wasn't well. And I needed to figure out how did this happen? What didn't I understand? And what can I learn about helping other people do this? And so that's, I went back to school. I got my master's. Now I'm almost about ready to finish my doctorate. And I've just like, like you said, just channeled all my energy into like, how do I help people realize they don't have to live like I was living for so long? Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's so incredible. And I'm so glad that you, you know, first of all, that your now husband had that insight and that um, ability to connect and reflect to you and that you, you know, answered that call, right? Because sometimes we don't always go, and, you know, keep searching. We just kind of settle, right? For, you know, how we're feeling. And so I'm sure my audience is like, well, what were the foods? Like, what were you eating? Like, what what were the, some of the like really big game changers that really shifted your um, digestion and your mental health? Do you mind sharing anything that you found? I would love to. So I was told as a young ballerina, that it doesn't matter what you eat, a calorie is a calorie. And so I thought, okay, they just wanted me to keep my calories low. So I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to keep my calories low, then I'm going to also want to eat some things I like. So candy, you know, protein bars, uh, you know, slim fast, you know, like not real food. I was just kind of eating things that tasted good, maybe with, you know, fake nutrients added back in or just sugar-free things. Um, It was a mess. Lots of gluten. I think I have a lot of trouble with gluten. I think I'm a highly sensitive person who just does better with whole foods in general. Like, and so uh, just eliminating those and sticking to fruits, vegetables, high quality animal products, that was, you know, it sounds like a really large overhaul and there was definitely a transition, but I found that that's just what my bed, my body performs best at. And I, I just had no idea the distinction between whole foods and processed foods. And it's, it's, it's really simple now that you think about it, but it was, it wasn't for me at that time. I, we reflect, right? And still here we are probably decades later from when you found this out. Still, it's really confusing out there, right? There's a lot of mixed messages in society. There's a lot of confusion, you know, still people are still like overcoming like the fat-free, you know, mindset. They still like think fat is bad, you know, some people, you know, um, there's yeah. confusion about like veganism and vegetarianism and, you know, we don't have to like, of course, go into all of it, but there's a lot of confusion out there, right? And there's a lot of convenience as well. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of messaging that, you know, sometimes we have to sacrifice, right? Quality and, you know, um, really well-sourced things for convenience. And you can just even dive into that part, you know, with your company right now, what, why a big part of why we love it, not only the supplements, but there's a convenient a- aspect to that, you know, I'm a busy person. I try to eat, you know, three meals a day, but sometimes, you know, I'm in, in patience, but I'm, I'm like hungry and I'm like, what do I eat? And like, what bar has has soy and what bar has this and what bar has that and it's confusing out there right but you guys have the beef sticks and the bars that are in our office you know always you know to help feed us um but yeah maybe just share the story around that because i think um that's really important 
Yeah. And I just want to say too, uh, around that low fat myth kind of mindset, I was there too. And, and I did avoid animal products because I did buy into that. And I think we now understand why animal products are important for mental health. I just didn't have any stability. And I really spiraled because I think of a lack of protein and high quality nutrients like B12 and things like that. But yeah, that was my point. So I'm a busy person too. I <laughs> like to be on the go. And I went on this world tour with Jennifer Lopez, which was my last assignment as a fitness trainer. And it was it was awesome, right? Of course. But I had just reclaimed my health with a paleo diet. And then when I was on the road for seven months, literally in a different country every day, I lost um, that vibrant health I had claimed, you know? And so that was really hard. And I came back to the United States and I just said, how am I going to make this realistic for people who want to do things like me, but also want to stay healthy? And that is exactly why we founded our um, company. And we started with a meat stick, I think, because I came out of the fitness world. I was starting to understand the importance of animal products. And when I had my son or my husband come visit me in France, and he literally bought a um, a suitcase full of beef sticks over to me that were grass fed and we thought were healthy and I would eat them and I would still suffer some digestive upset. And so I kind of looked at what are the ingredients that could be causing this. And we found some preservatives encapsulated citric acid is the one I think was contributing though. I can't, you know, obviously prove that, but it's made from, you know, genetically modified corn and hydrogenated oil and it's the industry standard. And so we really just wanted to be the company that was like, you know, we want to have products that are, as clean as they can possibly be for people like myself who might be more sensitive or who just, you know, want as clean as they can possibly get on the market without anything unnecessary. So that was kind of our, our goal is we want to meet people where they're at and you can't tell someone to spend three meals a day, you know, cooking, preparing them in the kitchen. is It's not realistic for some people. Of course it is, but we wanted to serve that community for people whom it's not possible for. Yeah. Well, no, I'm so glad you did. And let's, let's talk about this idea around animal product, right? Cause there's, yeah. I think still confusion and there's still like a really mainstream message, right? About, you know, the cows are killing the world and, you know, that's our, you know, climate change conundrum and, you know, like all these crazy thoughts, right? And let's just create a Beyond Burger instead. And that's all the same and, you know, whatever. It's, I, I couldn't even believe it when I saw the Beyond Burger and like the ingredients and how they have even like the fake blood in the product. And I'm just like, it's so much easier to eat, you know, a, you know, grass fed, you know, beef patty um, that has been regeneratively grown and actually healing the soil and not, um, you know, contributing to the, this like, you know, monocrop culture and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so tell us about your perspective of um, animal products in general and how we're so misinformed. Yeah, that's a tricky thing, right? Because there's this big push against all animal products, right? And there's so much nuance, just like anything, any good story, right? And so, yes, there are practices involved in animal agriculture that are very, very destructive. And we can talk about those. But on the other end, when you you go back to the way that we were doing things before, even just less than 100 years ago, it is the complete opposite picture. They did this analysis at White Oak Pastures down in Georgia, right, where they looked at raising a beef regeneratively, compared it with other data to chicken, pork, soy, beyond meat, you know, and conventional beef. And they found that regeneratively raised beef is the only one with a net positive impact. The only one, even better than soy, check, chicken, all of it. So, and conventional beef, was the worst, right? It had emitted, emitted, I think, 33 pounds per pound produced. That's of carbon. And so, yes, 
we have to change the way that we're raising animals. There's no doubt about that. But when we raise them the right way, and we can talk about it more about regenerative agriculture, it can absolutely be the solution that we need because it's the only one that we've seen that can actually take carbon out of the atmosphere and sequester it underground. And I'm also involved in research for my dissertation where we're looking at, does it matter if a cow is raised in a regenerative setting using agroecological principles? Does that positively impact human health in some way? And the the data here is really inspiring and exciting because it, it appears that it, it, it does, right? And we hear the message that, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, not everybody believes that, but I think we haven't been looking at the full picture because we're able to do far more in-depth and advanced analysis with the development of something called metabolomics, where you can look at hundreds and thousands of different metabolites in a product instead of just vitamin D, vitamin E, you know, the few, the handful that we've been doing so far. So we are seeing, you know, the same benefits for healthy soil, for healthy plants, for healthy humans and healthy animals, they all work together, right? So when you use principles in alignment with soil health, it helps everything in a positive way. And so I think we need to move past this belief that all animal agriculture is destroying the environment. It's absolutely not true. You know, we can overgraze with cattle. It has happened. But I can tell you, there are so many regenerative farmers right now who are looking at experimenting. They're like little scientists and they're figuring out exactly how they need to mimic um, old predatory and prey cycles and heal the ecosystems in way that in ways that nothing else can. And so we also need to recognize that animal products, right? We've been using and consuming and we evolved because of their place in our diets. And so it doesn't make sense that an ancient food is causing a modern day disease epidemic. Now, could there be something about the combination of hyperpalatable foods and, you know, poorly raised animal products or animal potentially, but I don't think it makes any sort of sense to put the blame on animal products instead of processed foods at all. When that is really what has changed. There's actually a report that came out in 2021 that said there was an inverse relationship between saturated fat intake from animal products and our rates of non-communicable diseases. So red meat consumption has actually declined lately, right? And some other saturated fat sources like fluid dairy um, and also lard consumption, whereas we, I think everybody knows that our rates of disease, obesity, cancer, those are rising. And so there's just several lines of evidence to suggest animal products are very important, right? The way that we raise them is absolutely everything because it can be environmentally destructive, but it can also be the environmental solution that we desperately need. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you're getting your uh, PhD. That's really exciting. That's like, uh, I mean, a whole thing that you probably don't even have to do, but, you know, wanting to like learn more and just, you know, the internal student, it sounds right. <laughs> oh, it's I'm obsessed. I know my husband's like, no more after this because I have, you know, I'm just like a collector. Of, I just have to learn. It's my favorite thing in the world. So, oh, well, no more power to you. I'm, I'm really happy that I mean, in the ability to create a dissertation and then also be just really up to speed on uh, the science, because I, I mean, I see that a lot in medicine. It, you really have to look at the research and it's like not apples to apples. And for us to like, really, you know, think like all things are, you know, there's so many factors in life. Right. And like for us to be so 
like really try to isolate these like really small minutia when we have to look at a whole systems approach, you know, for medicine is kind of my obviously thought process around that. And then also the ecosystem and the, you know, the food system and, you know, all of, um, all of the factors. So um, no, I'm in complete agreement with that. And one of the things that I, I think would be, you know, really pertinent to share right now is um, you developed another side of your company, right? And another side of your business, Wild Pastures. And people in my audience know, um, and we've had Joel Salatin on the podcast and in some summits and stuff. And, you know, I had a really amazing kind of really transformative experience in my life a couple of years ago, going to his farm, Polyface Farm, and just being in his presence and just kind of seeing the movement he created. And I think I know something about nutrition being a naturopath. And then my, you know, my eyes always open and open and continue to deepen. And and yeah, the like we need to teach our patients not just about organic because that is a label that we should look at, but it's not again all created equal. And then really look at the you know the whole piece of uh, regenerative agriculture and are we getting our meats and our animal products from these farms that we don't just have a stamp right for every you know farm that is doing this kind of beautiful like reclaiming you know work. And so tell us about yeah your journey with wild pastures and yeah just a little bit about this process yeah okay well yeah I grew up in eastern Montana right so ranching has always kind of been just part of my friends lives and it was when we started our meat product company we started developing relationships with these farmers and ranchers and they started teaching me that it matters the, the way you're doing things. Like you can do animal agriculture in a way that regenerates the ecosystem, which is so important, right? Because we've lost biodiversity, our soil health, 50 to 70% of our top soil is degraded. And there are throughout history, you see all these civilizations, right? Some of the most fertile areas, productive, like agricultural, right? They have destroyed their topsoil. And then they usually we can move on right to a new area. Well, we're kind of running out of that area. And so we really need our soil health to be better, or we can't grow healthful food, right? We can't sustain life. And so they were teaching me, okay, well, there's all the nuances and you can raise animals in a way that improves the health of the soil. And when my son was born, we became really passionate about, we don't want to see his generation have a day where they can't grow their own food. And there are different estimates. Some people say 60 harvests. We don't really know when that point will come, only that it might come. And so we were thinking, okay, we love these farmers and ranchers. They're like, everybody thinks, you know, or I was under the preconceived notion that, you know, farming is kind of a more simple like profession, but these people are experimenters. They're tinkers. They're such smart, passionate people. And so they didn't want to get out there and market themselves, though they were doing, I think, the most important work ever. And we wanted to figure out how do we find the market for them so they can go about this business of doing what they do best. And they, he, you know, our farmers would say, we don't, we don't even know where to find the customers who could support us in making this transition because making this transition is really stressful when you unplug from the conventional system, because there's subsidies and there's, there's kind of like a safety net there for farmers. But if they're going to take this leap, they needed to know that customers would be able to meet them on the other side. So that's what we wanted to do. We we're like, okay, well, we have customers from Paleo Valley that I think would care deeply about what you're all doing. And so we decided to create a meat delivery service where we only source from American can regenerative farmers. A lot of other meat delivery services are grass-fed, but they're probably coming from another country and they're not necessarily regenerative. And so regenerative is essentially at its core 
any type of agriculture that is measurably improving ecological outcomes. So it's different than grass-fed. It's different than organic. It's different than pastured, right? And it's not necessarily defined right now as like by the USDA or certain labels, but there are a set of practices and principles that they do apply that are very definable, right? And so we source from farmers using that. And often they're going through something called the Ecological Outcome Verification Program that is um, aligned with the Savory Institute. I'm not sure if your listeners know about Savory Alan Savory's work, but it's it's pretty remarkable. So they are tracking their environmental outcomes over time. So what we did is just made it convenient, like we were talking about. Consumers want to have animal products that align with their values, but a lot of times they don't know where to find regenerative farmers or, you know, they can't define what are you regenerative? How do I know? And also when they were able to find it, oftentimes it's too expensive for them. And so not only do we want to connect them, but we wanted to make it as affordable as possible. So we're 40% lower cost, which is is really a headache, as you might imagine. (laughs) How do you do it? It's it's funny because one of the main ways is because we have three companies now. So we have our burger company. So the tallow, it's whole animal utilization, right? Letting nothing go to waste. So we take the tallow that would otherwise be wasted and we use it to cook our French fries. And we take the bones, right, from the cows that might otherwise be wasted. And we take, we make bone broth and we take the organs. We use the organs and it becomes our organ complex. And so it's just all of these creative ways. And we also have a really lean team, right? We, we run two companies with, with one brilliant, uh, super capable team. And we use energy powered facilities like solar power. You know, like we're just thinking about the environment and human health and how how do we do this as <laughs> creatively as possible so that we can literally not have to make people bring the bank to have meat products that align with their values? I don't want this to be an elitist thing and it shouldn't be. And, and if we're going to transform the system, we we do need a lot of people joining in the effort. So we're just here trying to figure out how do we make that feasible? And uh, that's where we've landed. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's uh, not the easier path for sure. And, you know, when you're changing the paradigm, right? There's a lot of, I'm sure that you've had to navigate, you know, some days I'm sure are harder than others to make all of this happen for us. So I'm really grateful. And I haven't done a ton of research, but I know that there are a lot of different, different companies out there doing these like convenient, like organic boxes, but I don't see, I I don't know. I think you guys during wild pastures are like one of the very few that are doing this, you know, um, delivery service, you know, really connecting these farms with people. So are you really changing the market in that way? We sure hope so. And yeah, we are getting ready to scale up and um, we found our really key co-ops and farmers and ranchers from around the the country. And yeah, I mean, I want to say we're doing really well. We just got nationwide. We're only four years old and we're working with dozens of farmers and ranchers throughout the world. And we have, you know, tens over 10,000 subscribers. And so, yeah, I mean, we're we're working really hard. I think we're making an impact. We've got a long way to go, right? I think right now, four or 5% of the market is devoted to grass-fed beef. And that does not even mean regeneratively raised grass-fed beef, which is probably somewhere around one to 2%. So we're a very small minority, but I do think if we can make it convenient, and something that people can afford, we can change the system. And that's, I think that's our ultimate goal. Well, I have a four-year-old, so I'm grateful to you um, as well for, you know, the future generations, because I think we've all listened to 
Zach Bush and, you know, other people who have a hopeful message, but there's a, you know, bleakness in there if we don't change the trajectory as you alluded to. So I think this is, it's really not even like a choice anymore. Like we really have to really get lined up. You know, I, I we start we're starting to see, you know, with just the aftershocks of COVID for lots of reasons we don't need to talk about, but supply chains and, you know, food prices and all of this stuff starting to, you know, affect the average American. So it's like, um, you know, just imagine, right, if really, you know, our harvests are, you know, being affected, you know. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think you're really uh, a visionary in thinking ahead because it's it's the harder option for sure it's obviously the the better option but then that's always the harder option too <laughs> <laughs> it often is and like you're pointing at this food sovereignty piece and food security is yeah. huge we we just now yeah through covid realized how vulnerable we are and i didn't mention that one of the saddest things i think about this conventional system that we have right now is that the deterioration of our rural communities Farmers right now have uh, suicide rates are through the roof and rural communities are disappearing because we also have this large consolidation in the meat market, which is kind of crowding out um, the little guys, right? The family farms and the people in our community who would do things in a different way because their actions directly impact the people they love and they support them, right? So when we have this consolidation and larger corporations from some of them headquartered outside the United States and Brazil and China, and they have own tens of thousands of acres, they outsource their pollution and they don't care as much. They're making different kinds of decisions than would be made by the person who lives down the street. So yeah, I think there's so many reasons it's really, really important to kind of reclaim our right to the nourishing food and to the practices that will ultimately restore the nutrient density of our food, because we're also at this time in history where our nutrient density of our food is lower than at any other point. And it's not because the nutrients aren't in the soil. It's because the soil biology has been destroyed and the, you know, the uh, biology, like the microorganisms, the bacteria and the fungi, they actually work to bring the nutrients to the plant and create a soluble form that the plants can access. And when we destroyed that biology with various types of chemicals, that that relationship um, goes away. And so, yeah, just restoring the soil and paying attention to the environment is, is a really easy step you can take to kind of do, you know, become part of the mission, even though I think there's a lot of things people can do. But I, I think this is a really important one, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what a mirror, right? I often share with my patients, like when we're like, why are we so sick? And blah, blah, blah. It's like we're a microcosm of this macrocosm expression. And, you know, when you think about all the microbiomes in the human body and how they're so impacted right now by, we could talk about that for hours, right? But like when we look at our soil and, you know, the microorganisms in the soil because of a lot of man-made choices, right? You know, we're in the same predicament and I'm an optimist, you know, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm an optimist. And I do feel, you know, the, I mean, nature is amazing, you know, given the right conditions, it can change, it can regenerate, it can heal just like the human body. But we have to obviously participate, <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, so I, I really appreciate you educating my community about like the nutrients plus this vast, beautiful network and complexity of life with the, the microbes and the fungi and, you know, all of it, they, it all works together in a beautiful way, just like in the body. Yes. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that a lot of our current practices, I think, began with good intentions, 
But yeah. the understanding about the biology in the soil, even when you talk to farmers and ranchers, they were educated about kind of like chemistry, right? If you're missing these nutrients, you just put them in, but they had no acknowledgement and recognition for the soil biology. So it's something that we're just learning about. And my, one of my favorite farmers, John Arbuckle, always told me that nature is like a horse behind a gate. And all you have to do is just get out of her way. And so I think stopping trying to force nature into what we believe is the best expression, right? These monocultures and, you know, whatever we require, I think stepping back and realizing she'll heal and she'll make it, but we have to work with her. And I think that's what regenerative agriculture is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for educating us. And I wanted to just take like a real quick aside because I I wanted to comment on this one, come back to you were mentioning about tallow and, you know, these different, obviously fats and all of that. And, you know, we can go in a different, a lot of different directions, but I just wanted like tallow is a lot more available, not only in the food world, but I've seen even skincare now, even been, you know, tallow based and everything. So it's this whole like unused part of, you know, animals that is so vital to our life. So just maybe a little bit about tallow, like the, the fat, like we use internally and, you know, that connection to mental health, but also to our skin and, you know, like the beauty aspect of a uh, tallow. I have, um, I get all these wonderful samples that I'm really grateful for. And I, I've been getting more like a few tallow based products and I've been like putting it on my skin and I'm like, this is lovely. You know, like, um, you think it would be like smelly or this or that, but it, it's like shea butter, but like better because it absorbs absorbs um, way like more quickly. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like this unsung hero and that we've been throwing away, but you're right. Like on the skin, it, it, it hydrates in a way that I haven't seen something else do. And it's really important because it's a very stable fat, right? So, and it's what people used to fry their French fries in even McDonald's, right? But these seed oils became really cheap and they were mass produced. And so I think people switched over. And what they don't realize is they're made of really unstable fats, polyunsaturated fats, whereas tallow is like half monounsaturated, a more stable form than polyunsaturated for reasons we don't need to get into, and then saturated. So when you cook things in a more saturated fat, it's less prone to oxidation and downstream byproducts uh, of that the breakdown that could potentially be detrimental to your house health or create inflammation. And so when you use tallow, it's like a safer form of cooking. And yeah, and like you said, it it doesn't taste crazy. It actually has a really nice flavor. It's very neutral flavor. And it also contains vitamins and nutrients. And like you said, it's it's often just tossed by the wayside and we need to use it more. And we're actually creating one and we're going to have it available. Oh, good. But again, we were like, this is a gem. This is an amazing cooking yeah. oil you know, something you could put on your skin. It just has so many different utilities. And um, like you said, I think if we're going to be eating animal products, using the entire animal and moving away from less stable vegetable oils, I think is going to be an important step for some people too. Yeah. You know, cause coconut oil obviously was like the craze, but th- that's not really sustainable. You know what I mean? And so the tallow, I think is a lot um, you know, a, a better option for all the reasons we just shared. So I'm just sharing with people, like you think coconut oil, but now like just think tallow instead, right? And get a good source of a tallow. I'm going to trade it up. I mean, I have some coconut oil in my kitchen because, you know, it, like it's not the first thing on my grocery list to tallow yet. I'm not <laughs> indoctrinated yet, but when you get your tallow, let me know, Autumn, and I, I will definitely, um, you know, sign up for that. 
help my growing daughter, you know, get some good fats into her, you know? Oh, I mean, that's such a good idea. And imagine like if it's from your bioregion, right? Not only is, you know, just like for so many reasons, you know, coconut oil, where the coconuts raised, how are they raised? Then how far does it have to travel to get to you? So yeah, for all those reasons, tell yeah. for the way. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see Matt at conferences with Chalo all over his shirt, right? You know, right? Like a new tagline, right? <laughs> good. So, yeah, that good. Yeah, we got it. You know, I I've learned a lot from you today, and um, no, I'm really inspired. And I haven't signed up for Wild Pastures, but I'm going to. Um, we have a nice co-op in town, um, in our area, but at the same time. You know, I think a ribeye steak is like 30 bucks now. It's like crazy, you know, to buy like, you know, just like a regular one pound of ribeye and um, it's grass fed. And I don't know if it's regeneratively grown, honestly, I really, I, I don't, you know. And so, you know, I just kind of trust these co-ops to do the right thing, but at the same time, they're under a lot of pressures and, you know, different forces and things. So I'm definitely going to, you know, so I'm, I'm very excited and we'll have all that information. I mean, I definitely want you to share like your websites, your links, but before, as we're wrapping up autumn, just like anything else that's like on your mind or your heart that you want to share, you know, with our audience today, you've shared so much, but I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of a final thought. My final thought just be like, you said you're an internal optimist and we are at kind of a where we have to realize that everything we buy and ingest and all these things they matter right not only for us and our health but for the greater health but just say it seems really doom and gloom but we all have a choice right and it, you don't need to do everything differently but just like one simple step in the right direction has these ripple effects. And so I just hope that people don't take away from this, that we're in trouble and we have to do everything and that it's, you know, it has to be overwhelming. It doesn't, it just find something that matters to you, whether it's agriculture, what you're wearing, you know, how you're driving, you know, whatever it is, and just make a different choice in that way. And then that's all that we need to do and all that we can do. And and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can really participate and vote with our choices every day. We have a lot of choices as Americans and whoever else is tuning into this. I mean, we're really blessed with all the choice we have. Right. And so um, why not choose better? So, and we are making a choice every time, whether or not we're conscious of it, right. We're voting for a particular system every single time. Yeah. Absolutely. So Autumn, why don't you just share like all the wonderful ways we can, you know, connect with you and Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures, and we'll have information again in the show notes as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah. PaleoValley.com is the website. WildPastures.com is the website for the meat delivery service. And then we have WildPasturesBurgerCo.com. If you're in the Denver Boulder area, that's our burger restaurant that's based on regenerative agriculture. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. We're not quite at TikTok yet, <laughs> although we're going to, you know, maybe one day get in there, but not yet. And you can always reach out to me at autumnatpaleovalley.com and I answer everybody and I uh, would just love to hear any and all type of feedback. And just thanks for letting me be here. This is a really fun conversation. Oh, thank you, Autumn. And that's very generous to give your contact information. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of your beautiful work and thank you for being on the podcast and for your time. And um, it's really lovely getting to know you today. Likewise. Thank you for letting me be here. It's been an honor. 
Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you felt inspired by today's conversation with Autumn Smith. And if you want to check out all the resources and website and um, her websites in the show notes, please take a look. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, we would be so grateful if you would leave a review in iTunes. Have a beautiful day.